section twenty four of a compendious history of english literature and of the english language volume one this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org a compendious history of english literature and of the english language volume one by george lilly craik chapter three part six alliterative verse piers plowman it may be observed that my nose verses are thickly sprinkled with what is called alliteration or the repetition of words having the same commencing letter either immediately after one another or with the intervention only of one or two other words generally unemphatic or of subordinate importance alliteration which we find here combined with rhyme was in an earlier stage of our poetry employed more systematically as the substitute for that decoration the recurrence at certain regular intervals of like beginnings serving the same purpose which is now accomplished by what milton has contemptuously called the jingling sound of like endings to the english of the period before the conquest until its very latest stage rhyme was unknown and down to the tenth century our verse appears to have been constructed wholly upon the principle of alliteration hence naturally even after we had borrowed the practice of rhyme from the french or romance writers our poetry retained for a time more or less of its original habit in Leomon, as we have seen alliterative and rhyming couplets are intermixed in other cases as in minot we have the rhyme only pretty liberally bespangled with alliteration at this date in fact the difficulty probably would have been to avoid alliteration in writing verse all the old customary phraseologies of poetry had been moulded upon that principle and indeed alliterative expression has in every age and in many other languages as well as our own had a charm for the popular ear so that it has always largely prevailed in proverbs and other such traditional forms of words nor is it yet by any means altogether discarded as an occasional embellishment of composition whether in verse or in prose but there is one poetical work of the fourteenth century of considerable extent and in some respects of remarkable merit in which the verse is without rhyme and the system of alliteration is almost as regular as what we have in the poetry of the times before the conquest this is the famous vision of piers plowman or as the subject is expressed at full length in the latin title visio vilielmi de petro plowman that is the vision of william concerning piers or peter plowman the manuscripts of this poem which long continued to enjoy a high popularity are very numerous and it has also been repeatedly printed first in fifteen fifty at london by robert crowley dwelling in eli rents in holborn who appears to have produced three successive impressions of it in the same year again in fifteen sixty one by owen rogers dwelling nearer unto great st bartholomew's at the signa of the spread eagle 
next in eighteen thirteen under the superintendence of the late thomas dunham whitaker doctor of literature lastly in eighteen forty two under the care of thomas wright esq m a f r s etc the early editions and also dr whitaker's are in quarto and in black letter mr wright's is in the common type and in the much more commodious form of two volumes duodecimo and furnished as it is with an introduction notes and a glossary all very carefully and learnedly compiled is as superior in all other respects as it is in cheapness and convenience for perusal to dr whitaker's costly and cumbrous publication whitaker moreover whose acquirements in this department of study were very slender has selected a text widely differing from the common one and which has evidently no claim to the preference with which he has honoured it that given by mr wright who has added in the notes the most important of the variations exhibited by dr whitaker's edition differs very little except in greater accuracy from that first printed by crowley while it is derived from what appears to be the best and oldest manuscript now in existence dr whitaker's notes and glossary are contemptible and his running paraphrase which accompanies the text will be found much more frequently to slur over when it does not mistake the obscure passages of the original than to explain or attempt to explain them of the author of piers plowman scarcely anything is known he has commonly been called robert langland but there are grounds for believing that his christian name was william and it is probable that it is himself of whom he speaks under that name throughout his work he is supposed to have been a monk and he seems to have resided in the west of england near the malvern hills where he introduces himself at the commencement of his poem as falling asleep on a may morweninga and entering upon his dreams or visions the date may be pretty nearly fixed in one place there is an allusion to the treaty of bretigny made with france in thirteen sixty and to the military disasters of the previous year which led to it in another passage mention is made of a remarkable tempest which occurred on the fifteenth of january thirteen sixty two as of a recent event it is probable to quote mr wright that the poem of piers plowman was composed in the latter part of this year when the effects of the great wind were fresh in people's memory and when the treaty of bretigny had become a subject of popular discontent we may assume at least that it was in hand at this time we cannot attempt an analysis of the work it consists in mr wright's edition where the long line of the other editions is divided into two of fourteen thousand six hundred and ninety six verses distributed into twenty sections or passes as they are called each passes forms or professes to form a separate vision and so in artificial or confused is the connection of the several parts of the composition notwithstanding dr whitaker's notion that it had in his edition for the first time been shown that it was written after a regular and consistent plan that it may be regarded as being in reality not so much one poem as a succession of poems the general subject may be said to be the same with that of bunyan's pilgrim's progress the exposition of the impediments and temptations which beset the crusade of this our mortal life and the method too like bunyan's 
is the allegorical but the spirit of the poetry is not so much picturesque or even descriptive as satirical vices and abuses of all sorts come in for their share of the exposure and invective but the main attack throughout is directed against the corruptions of the church and the hypocrisy and worldliness the ignorance indolence and sensuality of the ecclesiastical order to this favourite theme the author constantly returns with new affection and sharper zest from any less high matter which he may occasionally take up hence it has been commonly assumed that he must have himself belonged to the ecclesiastical profession that he was probably a priest or monk and his vision has been regarded not only as mainly a religious poem but as almost a puritanical and protestant work although produced nearly two centuries before either protestantism or puritanism was ever heard of in this notion as we have seen it was brought into such repute at the time of the reformation that three editions of it were printed in one year there is nothing however of anti-romanism properly so called in langland either doctrinal or constitutional and even the anti-clerical spirit of his poetry is not more decided than what is found in the writings of chaucer and the other popular literature of the time in all ages indeed it is the tendency of popular literature to erect itself into a power adverse to that of the priesthood as has been evinced more especially by the poetical literature of modern europe from the days of the provencal troubadours in the canterbury tales however and in most other works where this spirit appears the puritanism if so it is to be called is merely one of the forms of the poetry in piers plowman the poetry is principally a form or expression of the puritanism the rhythm or measure of the verse in this poem must be considered as accentual rather than syllabical that is to say it depends rather upon the number of the accents than of the syllables this is perhaps the original principle of all verse and it still remains the leading principle in various kinds of verse both in our own and in other languages at first probably only the accented syllables were counted or reckoned of any rhythmical value other syllables upon which there was no emphasis went for nothing and might be introduced in any part of the verse one two or three at a time as the poet chose of course it would at all times be felt that there were limits beyond which this license could not be carried without destroying or injuring the metrical character of the composition but these limits would not at first be fixed as they now for the most part are the elementary form of the verse in piers plowman demands a succession of four accented syllables two in the first hemistich or short line and two in the second but while each of those in the first line is usually preceded by either one or two unaccented syllables commonly only one of those in the second line is so preceded the second line therefore is for the most part shorter than the first and they also differ in regard to the alliteration it being required that in the first both the accented or emphatic syllables which are generally initial syllables should begin with the same letter but that in the second only the first accented syllable should begin with that letter this is the general rule but either from the text being corrupt or from the irregularity of the composition the exceptions are very numerous we may merely add that although in our extracts we shall for the convenience of printing and for the greater intelligibility follow mr wright's edition as in other respects so in the bisection of the long line of the manuscripts and the other editions into two short ones only marking the structural distinction between the first and second which he does not 
we suspect that the true prosody requires these short lines to be regarded rather as hemistiches than as entire verses and sometimes only as false hemistiches that is to say that the correct prosodical division would be not in all cases where he has placed it but occasionally in the middle of the word with which he closes his first line but this is a matter of little moment we shall adopt the plan of modernizing the spelling in all cases in which there can be no doubt that the pronunciation is not thereby affected the poem begins as follows in a summer season when soft was the sun i shoot me into shrouds as i a sheep were inhabit as an hermit unholy of workus went wide in this world wonders to hear ach on a may morwening on malvern hills me befell of fairly of fairy methought i was weary for wandered and went me to rest under a brood bank by a burn's side and as i lay and leaned and looked on the waters i slumbered into a sleeping it swayed so murray then gan i metten a marvellous swebbin that i was in a wilderness wist i never where and as i beheld into the east on high to the sun i sake a tower on a toft free licka he mocked a deep dale beneath a dungeon therein with deep ditches and dark and dreadful of sight a fair field full of folk found i there between of all manner of men the mean and the rich working and wandering as the world asketh some puttin them to the plough platen full selled in setting and sowing swanken full hard and wanen that wasters with gluttony destroyeth and some puttin hem to pride apparelled hem thereafter in countenance of clothing common disguised in prayers and penances puttin hem many all for the love of our lord lived in full straight in hope to have after heaven rich bliss as anchors em hermits that holden hem in her cells and covetin naught in country to carry in about for no liquorous lift flood her lickem to please and some chosen chaffer they shevetin the better as it seemeth to our sight that switch me thriveth and some mirths to make as minstrels con and gettin gold with her glee guiltless i leave ach joppers and jogglers judas children feinin hem fantasies and fools hem might and han her wit at will to work in if they wool that paul preacheth of hem i wall not prieve it here but qui loquitur tu perloquium is jupiter's hind bitters and beggars fast about ye with her bellies and her bags of bread full ye crammed freighten then for her food foughten at the ale and gluttony god wot go they to bed and risen with ribaudry though robert's knaves sleep and sorry sleweth sueth hem ever pilgrims and palmers plighten hem to get her for to seek him st james and saints at rome they went and forth in her way with many wise tales and hadn't leave to lean all her life after i sake some that sidon they had e sought saints to each a tale that they told her tongue was tempered to lie more than to say sooth it seemed by her speech hermits on an heap with hooked staves went in to walsingham and her wenches after great lubies and long that loath were to swing clothed him in copes to be known from other and shoppen him hermits her ease to have 
i found there frères all the four orders preaching the people for profit of himself glosed the gospel as him good liked for covetous of copes construed it as they would many of these master frères now clothen him as liking for her money and her merchandise marching togetters for sith charity hath been chapman and chief to shrive lords many furleys han fallen in a few years but holy church and high hold better togetters the most mischief on mould is mounting well fast there preached a partner as he a priest were brought forth a bull with many bishops seals and said that himself might a soilen hem all of false shed of fasting of a vows he broken lewd men leaved it well and liked his words coming up kneeling to kissing his bulls he bounced hem with his brevet and bleared her iron and wrought with his ragman rings and brooches here it will be admitted we have both a well-filled canvas and a picture with a good deal of life and stir in it the satiric touches are also natural and effective and the expression clear easy and not deficient in vigour we will now present a portion of the fifth passage which commences thus the king and his knights to the kirk went to hear matins of the day and the mass after then waked i of my winking and woe was withal that i nay had slept sadder and e satan more ach here i had fairn a furlong fantise me hent that i na might further afoot for a default of sleeping and sat softly adown and said my believe and so i babbled on my beads they brought me asleep and then saw i much more than i before of told for i saw the field full of folk that i before of said and our reason gan arrayin him all but ream to preach and with a cross before the king comest thus to teach him he prayed that these pestilences were for pure sin and the southwestern wind on saturday at even was pertlick for pure pride and for no point else peeries and plum-trees were puffed to the earth and in sample that the segs shoulden do the better beeches and broad oaks were blown to the ground turned upward the her tails in tokening of dread that deadly sin ere doomsday shall fordone hem all the account of reason's sermon is continued at great length after which the repentance of his auditors is narrated as follows purnell proud heart plowed her to the earth and lay long ere she looked and lord mercy cried and by height to him that us all made she should and so in her sir and set there and hair to a phaeton her flesh that fierce was to sin envy with heavy heart asked after shrift and carefully may a culpa he comes to show he was as pale as a pellet in the palsy he seemed and clothed in a cowrie mari a couth it naught described in kirtle and court to pee and a knife by his side of a frere's frock were the four sleeves and as a leek that had e lay long in the sun so looked he with lean cheeks lowering foul his body was too bowlen for wrath that he boot his lips and ringing he yeed with the fust to reeken himself he thought with works or with words when he sick his time each a word that he warped was of a netter's tongue of chiding and of challenging was his chief lift load with backbiting and besmear and bearing of false witness i would been e shrive quoth this shrew and i for shame durst i will be gladder by god that gib had mischance than though i had this work e one away of essex cheese i have a neighbour by me i have annoyed him oft and lowen on him to lords to doon him lease his silver 
and made his friends be his fame thorough my false tongue his grace and his good haps grieving me full sore between many and many i make debate off that both life and limb is lost through my speech and when i meet him in market that i most hate i hauste him handly as i his friend were for he is doubtier than i i dare do none other ah had i mastery and might god wot my will and when i come to the kirk and should kneel to the rood and pray for the people as the priest teacheth for pilgrims and for palmers for all the people after then i cry on my knees that christ give him sorrow that barren away my bowl and my broke sheep away for the otter then turn i mine iron and behold ellen hath a new coat i wish then it were mine and all the web after and of men's leasing i laugh that liketh mine heart and for her winning i weep and wail the time and deem that they doom ill there i do well worse whoso under nimmeth me hereof i hate him deadly after i would that each a white were my knave for whoso hath more than i that angereth me sore and thus i live loveless like a luther dog that all my body boldeneth for bitter of my gall i might not eat many years as a man ought for envy and evil will is evil to defy may no sugar nor sweet thing assuage my swelling nay nor dia penitium drive it fro mine heart ne neither shrift me shame but whoso shrape my maw yes readily quod repentance and rad him to the best sorrow of sins is salvation of souls i am sorry quod that sega i am but selled other and that maketh me thus meagre for i nay may me venge among burgesses have i be dwelling in london and gart backbiting be a broker to blame men's ware when he sold and i nought then was i ready to lie and to lower on my neighbour and to lack his chaffer i will amend this if i may through my of god almighty the cases of wrath covetousness gluttony and sloth follow at equal or greater length and then comes the passage in which piers plowman is first mentioned the people having been persuaded by the exhortations of repentance and hope to set out in quest of truth a thousand of men though thrungen togethers cried upward to christ and to his clean mutter to have grace to go with them truth to seek ach there was white none so wise the way fitter couth but blustredin forth as beasts over banks and hills till late was and long that they a uh, lead met apparelled as a paynim in pilgrim's wise he bar a burden he bound with a broad list in a with wind wise he wound it about a bowl and a bag he bar by his side and hundred of amples on his hat setten signs of sinai and shells of galilee and many a crouch on his cloak and keys of rome and the vernacle before for men should know and see by his signs whom he sought had the folk framed him first fro whence he come from sinai he said and from our lord's sepulchre in bethlehem and in babylon i have been in both on armony and alessandra in many other places ye may see by my signs that smitten on mine hat that i have walked full wide in wheat and in dry and sought good saints for my soul's health no stow aught a core saint that men call true couldst thou aught wissen us the way where that why dwelleth nay so me god help said the gome then i sake never palmer with pike knee with scrip asking after him ere till now in this place then the narrative goes on as printed and pointed by mr wright who has no note upon the passage peter quote a ploughman and put forth his head i know him as kindly as clerk doth his books conscience and kind wit kenned me to his place and didn't me shurn him sickerly 
to serve in him for ever both to sow and to set the while i swink might i have been his follower all this fifty winter both ye sow and his sea and sued his beasts within and withouten waited his profit i dig and i delve i do that truth hotteth sometime i sow and sometime i thresh in tailor's craft and tinker's craft what truth can devise i weave and i wind and do what truth hotteth etc it is difficult to understand what meaning we are to give to the word peter understood as part of the ploughman's speech whitaker's interpretation is one peter a ploughman now put forth his head and in a note upon the passage which in his edition occurs in the eighth passes and stands peter quoth a ploughman he says as piers ploughman who now first appears is evidently the speaker we must notwithstanding the arrangement of the words understand them to mean quoth peter a ploughman but it is evident that this sense cannot be got out of the words as they stand the line is possibly corrupt and indeed the whole passage the one on which so much of the structure of the poem hinges exhibits other traces of having suffered from the carelessness or ignorance of the transcribers it differs widely throughout in the two editions but everything relating to the personage from whom the work takes its name would almost seem to be designedly involved in confusion and obscurity the ploughman ends his speech of which we have quoted the commencement by telling his auditors that if they wish to know where truth dwells he is ready to show them the way to his residence upon which proceeds the story yea leave peers quod these pilgrims and proffered him higher for to wend with him to truth's dwelling-place nay by my soul's help quod peers and gan for to swear i know old fang a furthing for st thomas shrine truth would love me the lass a long time thereafter ach if you will enough to wend well this is the way thither emote and go thorough meekness both men and wives till ye come into conscience etc the personage who thus speaks as afterwards constantly designated peers or sometimes perkin the ploughman and he makes a considerable figure throughout the sixth and seventh passes after which we hear little more of him till we come to the sixteenth in the eighteenth passes the character of peers the ploughman according to mr wright's view introduction page twenty four is identified with that of the saviour whitaker who generally calls him the mysterious personage conceives introductory discourse page twenty eight that peers in the latter part of the poem is intended to be the representative of the church taking the church as meaning not the clergy or the ecclesiastical system but the body of the faithful it would not perhaps be impossible to understand peers as sustaining that character throughout the work peers ploughman's creed the popularity of langland's poem appears to have brought alliterative verse into fashion again even for poems of considerable length several romances were written in it such as that of william and the werewolf that of alexander that of jerusalem and others and the use of it was continued throughout the greater part of the fifteenth century but the most remarkable imitation of the vision is the poem entitled peers the ploughman's creed which appears to have been written about the end of the fourteenth century it was first printed separately at london in quarto by reynold wolf in fifteen fifty three then by rogers along with the vision in fifteen sixty one in modern times it has also been printed separately in eighteen fourteen as a companion to whitaker's edition of the vision and along with the vision in mr wright's edition of eighteen forty two the creed is the composition of a follower of wycliffe and an avowed opponent of romanism here mr wright observes piers ploughman is no longer an allegorical personage he is the simple representative of the peasant rising up to judge and act for himself the english sans culotte of the fourteenth century if we may be allowed the comparison 
the satire or invective in this effusion which consists only of one thousand six hundred and ninety seven short lines is directed altogether against the clergy and especially the monks or friars and peers or peter is represented as a poor ploughman from whom the writer receives that instruction in christian truth which he had sought for in vain from every order of these licensed teachers the language is quite as antique as that of the vision as may appear from the following passage in which Pierce is introduced then turned i me forth and talked to myself of the falsehood of this folk how faithless they were and and as i went by the way weeping for sorrow i see a seely man me by upon the plough hongen his coat was of a clout that carry was he called his hood was full of holes and his hair out with his knops shoon clouded full thick his ton totened and out as he the lond treaded his hosen overhung and his hock shines on everich aside all beslammered in fen as he the plough followed tway mittens as metre made all of clouts the fingers wern for weird and full of fen hanged this wits wussled in the fiend almost to the ankle for wathering him beforn that feeble were worthy men might reckon each a rib so rentful they weren his wife walked with him with a long goat in a cutted coat cutted full high wrapped in a winnow shoot to wear in her fro weeders barefoot on the bare ice that the blood followed and at the lawn's end laughed a little crom bowl and thereon lay a little child lapped in clouts and twain of twey years old up in another side and all they song in a song that sorrow was to hearin they cried in all a cry a careful note the seely man sighed sore and said children beth still this man looked upon me and leaked the plough standing and said seely man why sighest thou so hard gift thee lack life load lean thee ick will switch good as god hath sent go we leave brother a literative verse the most ancient form of our poetry would seem to have been revived and brought into fashion or favour again for a time after having been long disused by its successful employment in the visions of Piers ploughman and the popularity of that work both wharton in his history and percy in an essay published in the second volume of his reliques have noticed several other alliterative poems in addition to the creed which although not all strictly speaking to be regarded as imitations of langland's performance probably owed their existence mainly to the example he had set in some of them the alliteration is carried much further than in the visions the jingle or joggle or of like beginnings as milton might have called it being introduced not according to a rule only in certain places of the verse but apparently to the utmost extent that the writer found possible by availing himself of all the resources of his vocabulary here for instance is the commencing stanza of a hymn to the virgin given by wharton hail be o yow marie mooder and may milda amica amerciable hail bullock fruit of soft fast fay again ook strife stood fast and stable hail soft fast soul in ucha say undue the sun is none so able how laga that er lord in lay the foremast that never was found in fable hail trua truthful and treacherable hail chief i chosen of chastity hail homely henda and amiable to pray for us to thy son so free End of section twenty four